I suggest that we can prove the existence of God from the impossibility of the contrary. As Christians, we do not give up our intellect. The strongest evidence and argument for the existence of God is that without a belief in God, you can't prove anything. How can the law be material? That's the question I'm going to ask you. I would say no. And can you give me an example of anything other than God that's immaterial? Welcome to the Revealed Apologetics Podcast. I'm your host, Elias Ayala, and here at Revealed Apologetics, Our goal is to equip believers to defend the Christian faith, and we want to equip you to do it in a way that is honoring to God and faithful to Scripture. So sit back, relax, get your thinking caps on, and let's dive into our topic for today. In this most recent episode, I was invited to uh, speak at Hofstra University on the topic of apologetics. It was a uh, kind of an informal context, and we had a lot of fun uh, going through some of my own um, testimony as to how I got into apologetics, a little bit about my background, um, and then we took some questions. And so um, just wanted to give this brief little introduction uh, at Hofstra University. We had a great time, um, and just the context here is that I spoke for— the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, okay? So this is an athletic club that they get together and they uh, do Bible studies together and things like that. So um, I hope you guys uh, enjoy it. Um, I had a lot of fun with it, and um, I hope it is beneficial to you. God bless. Yeah, it's like, this is gross, um, but we made the trek. We're committed. We're nice. here, ready to learn. This is not class, right? We're going to soak up the knowledge, but it's not class. Um, this is what I was saying. That's so fun. All right. Um, so here's the deal. Uh, first time Jennifer and I ran into Elias. It was actually at uh, Center Point Church um, maybe a year and a half ago. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah, a while so. ago. Uh, and they had an apologetics night at our church, and they had a couple different speakers. And after Elias spoke, we were just blown away. Oh, don't and, say that, bro, because now if I, I stink, they'd be like, he is mediocre. So. Um, and it's funny because we walked out like, man, like, that guy was just like the most personable guy. Like, such great information. And we walked downstairs for a little bit of like uh, lunch that they provided. And him and his wife sit down next to us. So we started talking to him, and we headed off. And uh, hey, Chick-fil-A, by the way. They had the Jesus chicken. That was the best kind of chicken. Yeah. <laughs> it's good stuff. So, Less food for sure, um, but and then from there, the rest of history. And then, so I had spoken to him a few times about seeing if he can come and speak to you guys. He was more than willing to do it right off the bat. And so, uh, this is God Questions Night. So, if you have questions, feel free to ask them. Um, I know sometimes it can be a little uncomfortable if you maybe feel like no one else has this question and I want to pull up my spot right now. But welcome, Jason. Good to see you. Um, 
But I guarantee someone else probably thinking about that question. And the other part is that, right, this is a place where I would say surface relationships, or at least I tell the guys, are going to get us nowhere. Our surface relationships are not going to get us anywhere. Right? People are afraid to share something or they can't trust somebody in the group. We're not going to go anywhere. We're not going to grow. Right? But if we can go deep and we can trust each other that what happens in here stays in here, we're going to have a great experience and it's going to be something special. All right? um, so feel free to ask your questions. There's a no judgment zone. We don't repeat anything outside this room that we sing in here. Right, so great opportunity uh, that I have to now present to you, uh, Elias. Oh gosh, Elias, Ow. My name is Elias Ayala. I am 37 years old, and I'm Puerto Rican. That doesn't matter for anything. I just wanted people wonder like, what nationality are you? My wife actually thought I was a white guy because I used to be in a band back in the day, and I met my wife uh, on a blind date, which I do not recommend at all. <laughs> Um, and uh, back in the day when there was MySpace, have you ever heard of this thing, MySpace? It was actually a much cooler version of Facebook because you could have like a customizable like homepage, so you could have like a theme song and like a cool background. You can't do that on Facebook very much, okay? And I used to be in a band, and believe it or not, I might not look like it, but I actually uh, am a singer. I was a lead singer of a band, you know? I didn't have a mullet, I still had short hair like this, it wasn't that long ago, and um, my wife was like, oh, this guy looks really cute. She was friends with the, uh, she was friends with the, uh, my bass player, and uh, he got us connected bowling, very safe <laughs> bowling. Uh, we went with a group of people, and um, a couple of months after we started dating, she had told me, it's like, the first time I saw you walking in the parking lot, my first thought was, oh, he's Spanish. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, that's not sketchy, all right? Uh, but it all worked out in the end, right? So I'm happily married. I have three kids. Uh, I have a five-year-old daughter. Her name is Autumn. I have a three-year-old son who thinks he's Spider-Man. His name is Ethan. And I have a three-month-old uh, uh, baby, Calvin. And they are super adorable, okay? If I fail in anything in life, I have not failed in producing beautiful children. Our children are adorable. Unfortunately, I don't have any pictures for you or anything like that. Um, I grew up in church. Uh, I grew up, uh, I believed the Bible for as far back as I can remember. I grew up in a Spanish-speaking church. And I am the whitest Hispanic you'll ever see because my Spanish is horrible. I understand around like 80% Spanish, enough that if you were to talk about me behind my back, like I could hear you and understand what you're saying. Um, but for the most part, growing up, I had difficulty. And our church was like a very unique church. It was a very Spanish Pentecostal church where they had very long services. And the services were like two hours long. My goodness, I always joke around like Jesus left the church before the service was over. He walked up in the back and like, I'll see you next Sunday. He like, out the door. Very, very long. And um, I'm sitting in these long services and I don't understand Spanish. So what am I going to do with myself? So I took a little Bible when I was a little kid. took a little Bible that was under wooden benches. Okay? Um, and I uh, took this Bible and I read it. For years and years and years, went to church Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays morning service on Sundays and then an evening service um, in the evening. So I went to church a lot. And so uh, you might think that, like, oh my goodness, that's, that's terrible. <laughs> How dare your parents put you through that? But I actually had a very uh, exciting, vibrant church, the friends in church. My family actually enjoyed it a lot because um, I went to a Spanish church. Our music was, like, lit. We had really yeah. good music. Everyone in my family, you know, uh, my uncle played the guitar. My cousin played the drums. Super, super exciting, okay? And so I grew up and developed uh, a, an interest and love for the Bible, okay? I love the Bible, um, and uh, I, have not, um, I have not decreased in my interest and love for the Bible, um, but when I uh, started to go to college, I went to Suffolk Community College, and I had to take an elective course, and I wanted to take something super easy because it's stressful when you start off, you know what I mean? 
it's like, it's stressful. Um, and so I took a class, Literature of the Bible. Now, this is supposed to be this is my bread and butter because I grew up in church. I've read the Bible. I understand the stories. I think I know it all. And so we're supposed, this class is supposed to be on the literature of the Bible, so the Bible as literature. So you're supposed to study the poetry in the Bible, the Bible as historical narrative, metaphor in the Bible, and all these different sorts of things that were super interesting and things that I thought were going to be super easy. And so instead of it being literature of the Bible, my professor would spend the first 20 minutes of class ridiculing the Bible and trying to show that the Bible had contradictions in it. I was like, am I in the wrong class? Like, what's going on? But because I grew up in kind of like my Christian bubble, you know, I read the Bible, I, I had discussions on theology and things like that, I never, um, I never practiced my faith in a context in which people were criticizing it. And so for the first time, I was actually challenged in my faith, and I, I, I did a little experiment. I said to myself, all right, Christianity has been around for over 2,000 years, okay? Surely, the things that my professor is bringing up, this is, this is not new. People have heard about this stuff before. So I did a little experiment. I pretended to be an atheist. I pretended. I tried to look at the Bible from the perspective of, all right, I'm going to see if I can tear this thing apart. What are the best arguments that, that are out there for the non-existence of God and arguments against the truth of the Bible? And I did my study, and I you know, read certain things here and there, read blog articles, you know, uh, journal articles, and things like that, and kind of got a feel for the, the landscape. What, what are people saying against the Bible? And then I stepped back and said, all right, 2,000 years of Christian religion, surely someone has addressed these issues. And it was through a series of events as I was exploring that that I was introduced to uh, what's called apologetics. Okay? Now, apologetics is not apologizing because you're a Christian. You're like, my bad, I'm a Christian, right? Sometimes people say that because when you say you're a Christian, everyone rolls their eyes like, oh my gosh. Because, you know, Christians, we're, we're judgmental, right? We judge you without even saying a word of that. <laughs> you know, like we, we are very known for being very hypocritical, unfortunately. Um, so uh, here's the thing. When I studied the evidence for the Christian faith, I was blown away, not only at the fact that there were good, solid, rational, logical answers to a lot of the objections, but half of the objections my teacher was bringing up were old. They weren't even discussed in scholarship in this area. They were kind of just old, rehashed arguments that people have addressed. And even unbelievers who, you know, unbelieving scholars don't use the arguments he was using. So I was actually pretty impressed that there were good, rational arguments to address some of the things that he was bringing up. Okay? And on top of that, as I began to interact with other unbelievers, I began to see the strength of the Christian faith. And I think there's a lot, there's a big misconception out there, especially amongst uh, young people, like around our age that uh, religion is kind of like this thing that's uh, like it's subjective, right? When we talk about science, we're talking about the facts, right? You know, it's rationality and empirical evidence tells us, right? We talk about the facts. And, and sure, I love science, I love facts. You know, when you do apologetics, I deal very much with the facts, philosophy, worldviews, and things like that. Um, but I came to quickly understand that Christianity stood unique out of all the other religious perspectives in the world. For example, you take something like Buddhism which is more like a philosophy. You don't even have to believe in a deity to be a Buddhist. Um, it's more of a philosophy, yet you compare something like Buddhism to Christianity. Christianity is a religion that is rooted in history. It's rooted in the idea that certain historical events occurred. And if these events didn't occur, then Christianity's false, right? If the, what did the Apostle Paul say in 1 Corinthians? If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we, we should be pitied, right? We're wasting our time. And that was the claim of someone who was writing at a time 
where the people were alive who claimed to have seen Jesus after he was raised from the dead. So Christianity is not a view of the world that is afraid of looking at evidence, addressing arguments, and things like that. And we're very much into logic, unfortunately. The modern church today, not so much. And the average Christian doesn't even know what apologetics is. And by the way, I'm going to get into what it is, but the word is actually derived from a passage in the Bible. So it's actually a biblical idea to defend what you believe. Instead of this idea of just believing something on blind faith, right? People say, well, you're a Christian. That's good for you. That's your, it's true for you. It's not true for me. I have my own kind of perspective. And so science and, and uh, you know, philosophy tend to deal with facts, but religion and ethics deal with subjective opinion, right? You think that's right? Good for you. I, he, agree, he disagrees with you. And so, you know, we really, don't, we really can't know. Or in the case of religion. That's great that you have Christianity. That's great that you have Islam. You feel fulfillment out of that, blah, blah, blah. You hear all these sorts of things. And that's all you can do. You just go to the whole game of everything subjective. We can't really know. And actually, that's, that's not true. Uh, it's the religion is something that's based on objectivity. A religion is either true or it's false. If the Bible is true, then all other religious perspectives that are not the Bible are false. That's just simple logic. That's not being narrow-minded or arrogant. The nature of truth is that truth is narrow. And the opposite of true is? False. Oh, it's false. Very good. College students. Good, good, good. Um, so, and, that, and that's just the nature of the case. And so from a Christian perspective, I not only believe that the Bible is true, I actually think that it's something that we can defend and that we can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with some of the world's uh, best critics. You know, people like, um, well, I wouldn't call this the best critic, but very well-known, someone like Richard Dawkins, who is considered one of the most famous atheists uh, in the world today, wrote a very uh, well-selling book, uh, The God Delusion. He's a, a professor at Oxford University. He teaches biology. I think he still does that. And uh, he speaks regularly on university campuses, um, you know, ridiculing religion. He actually thinks that for parents to raise their children in religion is a form of child abuse. And he thinks that religion is something that is actually detrimental to people as opposed to something that would be um, helpful, okay? Obviously, as a Christian, I don't believe that's true. I think we should be on the side of truth, and we should be able to argue why we believe what we believe. See, the problem with a lot of people who grow up in church, or maybe you didn't grow up in church, but you just go to church because you just recently became a Christian or whatever, a lot of us in churches today learn to believe certain things, but very rarely do we talk about why we believe it. I remember I spoke, common, you know, kind of a similar talk like this at a, at a church, a youth event, okay? And when I go to these youth events, I try to keep my eyes open for the young person who loves Jesus the most, and you can tell who it is, because when everyone's worshiping, there's that one person that's like this, there's that one person that's like, you know, he loves Jesus, but he ain't going to show it right away, he's going to be like, and then there's that one kid that's like, you know, he usually has his, his, his sneakers are off, and he's just running around the altar, you know, and you can tell, I think I did something here, uh, you can tell this person loves Jesus more than the Apostle Paul, okay, I don't know if you could help me with that while I'm doing that here, um, and so I kept my eyes on this kid, and, and, and I was going to, you know, zero in on him, and so when it was my turn to speak, um, I, I, I asked everyone, how many people love, love Jesus? You know, all the kids, you know, yeah, I love Jesus, you know. Uh, how many people really love Jesus? And they're like, yeah, and that one kid in the back, he was like, yes, yes, you know, going all crazy. And so, all right, come up here, man. He's like all excited, his friends, he's just like, hey, man, like, yeah, you know. And I'm like, you love Jesus, right? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, you believe the Bible's the word of God? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, and you believe it's true, right? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, how do you know it's true? And he's like, you know, and he had no answer. Now, it got, I'm not joking around it, but it got really awkward. So here's this kid worshiping God. With his, lift, his hands were lifted high. In some cases, he's tearing. He's having an experience with God, right? 
And when you ask this kid, how do you know what you believe about the Bible and Jesus is true? No answer. That seems to be a disconnect to me. I don't see how someone could say, I love Jesus. He's, this is the most important relationship that I have in my entire life. Yet you have no way or you have no reasons to give to show why you actually believe it's true. Because what is religion? And this is, this is taught in churches. It's just something you believe. Right? And then when you bring your doubts and your questions to your parents or your pastor, well, what are the answers? You just have to have faith. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. And you pray. And then they magically think that when you pray, you know, God sprinkles this magical faith dust and you just have this boost of energy. And like, okay, I believe, you know? And people will understand faith in that way, unfortunately. Or many atheists will criticize Christianity as teaching something that faith is believing something that you know doesn't really have any evidence for it, right? All right, Christians, you know, uh, laud each other for having faith because there's no evidence for what you believe, but we step out in courage just believing it's true. Listen, you can sincerely believe something's true and be sincerely wrong, right? This is a simple, a simple point. So uh, when we're dealing with the Christian faith, and we're, we're in a room, hopefully, I don't know how many people are Christian, maybe some of you are, maybe some of you are, I don't know, you know, you guys as individuals, but if you are Christians, the Bible commands you to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you. And so if you believe the Bible's true and you don't know why it's true, this should be something that should inspire you to dig deeper into your own faith. And it has profound implications because it not only firms up your own relationship with God, because our emotions go this way and that. Sometimes I feel as though God is with me. Sometimes I feel like he's just not there. You know, like, you know, we have all of these emotional kind of struggles. But when your emotions are in constant flux, what happens when your emotions veer off far to the left and you have no foundation? You see, it is the truth of the Christian faith. That is the immovable foundation that keeps you standing when your emotions are high and when your emotions are low. When I, my emotions are high and I feel connected with God, praise God. When I'm low and I feel depressed and I feel like there is no God out there that's listening to my prayers, guess what? The knowledge of the facts undergirding my faith keeps me standing when I don't feel God is with me. Because Christianity isn't true only when you feel God. It's true whether you feel him or not. And the fact is not that you feel him. The fact is that God exists. He's with you whether you feel it or not. The Bible's true. He's with you whether you feel it or not. Because Jesus says, behold, I will be with you even to the end of the world. If that's true, it doesn't matter if you feel it or not. It's true. And so truth should be our undergirding foundation. Okay? So we need to be concerned with truth and not just get this whole idea with, well, it's just faith. You know, Christians don't understand what faith means. You know? A lot of people understand faith, biblical faith, as something like this. We believe that God exists. Listen, the Bible never argues for God's existence. It assumes God's existence and says it is the fool who says in his heart there is no God. Faith does not believe that because the Bible just assumes it. It's an obvious fact. Biblically, we could argue it, of course, but biblically, it's just a fact. Faith in the Bible is not belief that. It is a belief in, a trust that already assumes the reality of a relationship. Faith is not merely mental assent to some proposition that something's true. It is also a relational thing. And so when we have faith in God, it's a relationship in someone that has proven reliable, not only in our personal lives, but all throughout Scripture. God has remained faithful to his promises to the people of Israel and, of course, with the sending of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. The New Testament is a fulfillment of promises that God made in the Old Testament. And it's a beautiful picture. The Bible is an amazing book. 
When people say, the Bible's just like any other book. Bro, you don't even know what you're talking about, dude. The Bible's comprised of 66 books, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, written over a period of 1,500 years by over 40 different authors in three different languages and on three different continents. Written by poor people, rich people, farmers, kings, prophets, and all throughout that 1,500 year time span, you have this beautiful, consistent message that magically and wonderfully unfolds in the coming of Jesus Christ. And of course, with the historical person of Jesus coming on the scene, it changes the course of history. Even if you don't believe the Bible is true, that's true. The most influential person to ever live was Jesus of Nazareth. And the amazing thing is his ministry only spanned three years. Do you know that? We have the wonderful Merry Christmas, right? For unto, unto us a child was born. And then, and then it fast forwards, you don't even know what Jesus did like when he was a teenager. Like, did he go to school? You know, did he like, hey guys, you know, I'll see you after practice. Like, did he have like regular experience? We, we don't know. The, the next time you see Jesus is when John the Baptist is baptizing people in the wilderness, in the, in the Jordan River. And here comes Jesus and his ministry begins at the age of 30. What was he doing all before that? We don't know. Yet from 30 to 33, when Jesus was crucified, three years, never left his country except when he was a little kid and his, parent, his parents uh, fled to Egypt and then came back. Three years, he has accomplished more than all of the conquerors of ancient civilization, all of the great philosophers who have written books. Someone like Napoleon, the great French conqueror, he even said that no man has, has, um, has drawn to himself uh, more knees bowed in submission. There are more knees that bow into submission to the Jewish carpenter who lived 2,000 years ago in the far reaches of the Roman Empire than any person in history. Whether you believe Jesus is the Son of God or not, we need to come to grips with the fact that Jesus was unique in a very special way. And I think as Christians, we need to know why that's the case and present the message that he brought to the world. And do it in a way that is gentle and respectful but logically sharp rationally grounded the bible tells us we are to be gentle like doves but crafty like serpents your mind as a christian needs to be sharp we need to develop the life of the mind and the average church here in the united states that's not the case it's all about emotion right that service was great why the worship was great you get the chill oh my goodness oh god is in this place and then they take their brain and they throw it out the window because they don't actually connect issues of the heart and issues of the mind the greatest commandment in all of Scripture, there are 613 laws in the Old Testament that Jews had to follow. The greatest commandment in all of it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. You dishonor God when you check your brain outside the church. Have your worship service, have your after-church coffee with your friends, come to a Bible study here, and then you go outside, and it's a completely different category of your life. Then I wear my regular clothes, and I go out and I do whatever I, I do throughout the week. No. Your commitment to Christ is both in here and outside, even more so outside. Because it's, it, it causes you to reflect on the importance of being consistent with what you profess to believe here, out there when nobody's watching. When you don't have other fellow Christians to encourage you, right? And so we're called to use our minds. And that's where apologetics comes in, okay? So what is apologetics? If I didn't, like, mess this thing up, okay? Okay. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to go through this quickly because I'm hoping you have questions. Okay? Now, here's the awkward thing. This can go very awkward. Okay? I can go through the basics and say, hey, let's talk about something. And everyone just looks at me like, whoops. Everyone just looks at me kind of just like, and they don't say nothing. Right? If, you don't, if, you don't, if you don't ask questions, you don't have I mean, listen, everyone goes through struggles. Everyone has, I mean, 
All of you guys hopefully have thought a little bit about your faith, like, hmm, I wonder. Or you've heard something that someone said, and you're like, I wonder how a Christian would respond to this. Or how should, if you have any questions, I do not care what it is. If you have a question, let's talk about it. All right? I don't know all the answers to your questions, but in my journey, the reason why I'm almost never surprised by questions is because half the questions you're going to think about, if you in fact ask them, are questions that I've thought about. And I'm not super smart. I was an idiot in school. <laughs> okay? You know, I, I didn't start reading books seriously until like, I actually explored my faith. It was actually my interest in my faith that I devoured books. Now, when I was in high school, I was like, oh, spark notes. Like, I didn't even take things seriously until I actually considered, you know, wow, what's this, all this information I never, I never even heard of about the Christian faith and its rational foundation. Okay? So I'm going to go through it rather quickly, and then we'll open up the floor for questions. And if not, I'll do a cartwheel, a dance, and then, you know, we'll wrap things up. So it can be super awkward or super interesting. It's up to you. All right, so apologetics. What is apologetics? It comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It's my favorite Bible verse. I actually have here, the New Testament is written in Greek. i got a tattoo on my wrist here. It's, uh, it says apologia, and it literally means to give a defense. All right. It's usually um, understood in the context of like a court of law, like when you like give a defense for uh, you know to make your case or whatever. Okay. Here's what First Peter three fifteen says: But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone. Everyone say everyone. everyone. Very good. You guys are with. Who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and respect? That's an older word, reverence. There. Okay. Who are we to be able to give a defense to? Everyone. everyone. That means your friends, that means classmates that you happen to be like, uh, you know, common hour, whatever you guys said, you're just chilling and a conversation comes up, you need to be ready there. Unbelieving professors, perhaps you'll get into a conversation, wherever that might be, and someone says, you need to always be ready there as well. You need to know your faith more than the person who doesn't share your faith, which is a shame on a lot of Christians. I know some atheists who know more about Christianity than the person who grew up in church. Not because the atheist is smarter or the other person. It's just that the person in church takes their faith for granted. And they don't actually, oh, I've heard that before. You know, I'm telling you something. There's something in the Bible that I bet you've never heard and you think you've heard. There are things that you think you know the Bible says. And when you actually look, if we did a Bible study on something, you'd be like, oh, my gosh. I don't even know what to do with myself right now because the Bible is just that amazing. There are layers. You know, we can look at things from a surface perspective and then we can just boom. Yeah, it's interesting. I'll give you a quick one, right? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16 says, No man has seen God. He cannot be seen because he dwells in unapproachable light, which no man has seen or can see. 1 Timothy 6, 16. And then Moses in the Old Testament, and someone like Jacob in the Old Testament, he says, Behold, I have seen God and lived. So how is it the case that no one can see God, but there are people in the Old Testament that were said to have seen God? How would you answer that? By the way, if someone brought that up as a contradiction, your Bible is full of contradictions. One part of your Bible says, no one has seen God. Another Bible says, behold, I've seen God face to face. How can that be? Okay? Now, I'm not going to answer that question right now. You're probably just like, <sighs> but we can, we can talk about it later. Yeah, go ahead. Do you have a question? Oh, well, I was going to point out that there's actually three people. Actually, now that I think of it, they, um, Jesus came to them in dreams. But I guess. You mean like in the Bible? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, uh, well the, the, the point of, of 1 Timothy 6.16 is that no man has seen God. So, these people in the Old Testament that I'm referencing, they, it wasn't a dream. They actually, you know, uh, Jacob wrestled with the angel, right? And he actually says, behold, I've seen the face of God and lived. And the burning bush. The burning bush. Moses, the Bible says Moses uh, spoke to God face to face as one speaks with a man. There's some weird. The Lord appeared to Abraham. 
like, you never catch those. He appeared to him? Like, wait a minute, wait, but isn't God like a spirit? How how, how do you reconcile those things? There is an amazing answer to it. I can't get into it right now, but perhaps if you have a question later, we can talk about it. But it's just to show you there are interesting layers that things look like they don't fit, but when you see them and how they fit together, you're like, whoa, like that's super, super cool. And you feel drawn into the text. Right? You want to you want to learn more about you know how we can make all, make sense out of all this stuff. It strengthens your faith. You see the amazing complexity and sophistication of the Bible, and it provides you with an explanation of these things in a way that actually gives you a good defense for people who deny those things or point out contradictions in the Bible and things like that. Am I making sense? Okay, very very important. So to give a defense to everyone, okay, who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you. Now this is important to everyone who asks you. Does everybody ask you for the reason for the hope? No. Don't be that Christian. Want to hear about Jesus, bro? Like, okay. Don't be that weird guy that walks up to the people of all. Here, you, can you take this, this flyer and let me tell you about it? It's like, don't be that weird person. There's nothing wrong with passing out tracks for like, don't be that guy, all right? Um, it says to anyone who asks you. The Bible doesn't call you to be that weird Christian that like tries to tackle people like you're like a mugger. You wait in the shadows and wait like, okay, that person looks like he needs Jesus. And then you pop out of the shadows and you're that awkward person, okay? Don't be that person. Also, when you're equipped with the foundations of your faith, arguments and philosophical reasonings, that you're able to um, employ biblical principles and logical principles and destroy other people's perspectives, because that actually is impossible. Sometimes people will, will gain uh, an arrogance about them. They're the Christians, but they're just like, you know. Want to argue? Good <laughs> sir, you bro. Like, we can have like this arrogance. The Bible says that we are to give an account for the hope that's in us with gentleness and respect. And we speak the truth in love. But... We speak the truth. And sometimes truth is offensive. Now, we live in a weird society where when you disagree with someone, that equals you hate them. Right? It's like, I disagree with you. I think I, I see things from this perspective. So you hate me. No, no, I just disagree with you. You know, this is the world we live in, unfortunately. Okay? Uh, Philippians 1.16, Paul says, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Philippians was a jail letter. The apostle Paul was in jail when he wrote that. He's like, I'm in jail for the defense of the gospel, because he was defending the gospel. So something we need to do. You don't need to know that, okay? You don't need to know him either. Okay, so um, why apologetics, right? There are a couple of reasons why we do apologetics. If I can just really briefly define the term again. Apologetics is simply the defense of the faith, right? You're defending something. Everybody does apologetics. I don't care if you're a Muslim. I don't care if you're an atheist. I don't care if you're an agnostic. I don't care if you're a Jehovah's Witness. You can, I don't care if you're a Buddhist. Okay? Everyone does apologetics because everyone believes what they believe is true. And they're going to defend it in some way, shape, or form. Some people do it well. Some people do it crummy. Some people do it really crummy. Why are you a Christian and why do you believe the Bible is true? Because my mom brought me to church. <laughs> it's like, okay, that didn't answer my question. And that's actually an answer that some seasoned Christians would give because they just never really have thought about it before. By the way, if you've never been in a position to defend your faith, that might say something about you. Maybe you're not living a life that's um, openly Christian enough that people actually would care to ask, why are you the way that you are? That's, a, that's an interesting perspective to look at. If that's not you, if she doesn't fit, don't wear it. But I think that has an application for some people. Okay? All right, so apologetics. Why do we do it? Okay, first, we want to validate Christian truth. I believe the Bible's true. I do. I believe there's good reason to believe it's true. I'm willing to argue for its truth. I believe, this might be crazy for some people, but I believe that the, the Christian worldview can be objectively demonstrated. I believe you can argue it and prove that it's true. I, that's, that's my position. 
Okay, and when I've, I've interacted with people, um, before I close, I'll give you my podcast. I've had debates with some atheists and stuff like that. You might enjoy that. Very respectful interactions, but we talk about some stuff. Okay, I believe that the Bible is objectively true and objectively demonstrable. That might be out of fashion. See, some Christians don't even think that. It blows my mind. Okay, so we want to validate Christian truth. We believe the Bible's true, and we want to argue for it. Okay, apologetics also is a very interesting thing in regards to strengthening the church. You can strengthen your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ when you encourage them with not just mere encouragement. Don't worry, Jesus is there for you. That's true, he is. But how awesome is it when you could encourage your brothers and sisters with the truth that because it's true, we can continue on. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, I don't have to fear death because I know there's something on the other side of the curtain, so to speak, right? So apologetics strengthens believers, okay? To save the lost, there are people who are going to hell. Now, people don't like to talk about hell. It's so offensive. Well, guess what? If the Bible's true, there's a heaven, there's a hell. If the Bible's true, there's a holy God who will judge people for their sins, whether you like it or not. If the Bible's true, that's the case. It does nothing to cry about it. If it's true, it's true. And if you have good reasons to believe that it's true, whether you like it or not. There is a God. He is holy. He is righteous. You're a sinner. You need a Savior. And if you don't come to the Lord with your sins, then God, as a righteous judge, will judge you. That's just the, na it's the name of the game. Okay? If the Bible's true, that's the case. If you're a Christian and you are you're experiencing the grace of God and you receive forgiveness and you, you're reconciled to God and you have a relationship with God, great. Not everyone is in your position. And so you, as a Christian, are commanded in the Bible to share the gospel to a dying and lost world that needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's just the way it goes. It's very interesting. We're very quick to tell people things that we think are important, but then we avoid telling them about the gospel because it's just too weird. But if it was something else, we often are very quick to tell them. And I don't care if you think this is weird, but I'm your friend, I'm going to tell you. But we can't do this when we talk about religion. Because, you know, we're Christians, but deep down inside, I don't really know this is true. This is just something I believe, and I don't want to step on his toes. You see the problem? We don't think consistently in that regard. So the reason why we want to defend the faith is because we want to share it. When you, when you share your faith with someone, the chances are the person's not going to drop down on their knees and say, baptize me in this puddle in the parking lot. Like That doesn't happen often. You know, it could happen, I guess, but... Um, but we defend the faith because we love people, and we want to show people that, that the gospel is real, that Jesus is real, okay? And there are ways to do that. Unfortunately, I can't go into the details today, but um, if you ever want me back, I'd be more than happy to come back, okay? Um, also, to refute error. There's error out there. I mean, it's reality. People don't think straight. Some Christians don't think straight. But we believe in truth, and you've got to be very careful because we live in a society where people deny truth. I've actually had someone looking me in the face. There is no objective truth. Your guess is as good as mine. There's no truth. Is that true? Yeah. There's no truth. Yes. Is that true? Yeah. You see the problem? If there is no truth, and it's true that there's no truth, then there's truth. You can't deny truth. And the opposite of true is false. false. And so if my position is true, then your position that's not my position is false. And if your position is true, then the opposite of your position is false. You follow? Okay, that's not too difficult. You guys are, I'm so used to talking to like middle school and high school kids and they're just like, and then you finally get that one person, they raise their hand like, oh my goodness, we're gonna have some interaction. Can I use the bathroom? I'm like, I hate you. Come on, go to the bathroom. You know, that's usually, that's the, the horrible life of a teacher. Okay, so we want to refute error, okay? And this, um, this will require us to use our minds, to love the Lord your God with all of your mind. That means it is a command of scripture that you think rationally, that you think logically, and most importantly, you think biblically, right? First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says the following. 
before you get to the defense to everyone asking for the, uh, to give an account for the hope that's in you, it says, but to sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Apologetics is something that Christians do. And I don't mean Christian by label. I mean someone who has a genuine relationship with God. Right? Before we go out into the world and we interact with people who need to hear the gospel, you need to have the Lord set apart as Lord over your heart and your mind. And you go forward, you go forth from that. In a lost, dark, and dying world, you are living in a, as an example to those who need to hear the gospel. One of the, the, the main reasons why people reject Christianity is not so much over rational arguments. You do have people who think they have rational arguments against the Christian faith, but many people who reject the Christian faith, the main reason is because of other Christians. There's jerks sometimes, right? Christian, Christians have a really bad reputation for being uh, jerks, hypocrites, ignorant, blind to the facts, right? My, it's my way or the highway. We can't actually sit and have a rational conversation sometimes. And we shouldn't be people that are characterized by that sort of thinking. It doesn't honor Christ. So when we're going to defend the faith out there, we want to be sure that we are sanctifying Christ as Lord in our hearts. And with that mindset, where, and this is an interesting point here, the, the word heart there, in the Bible, very rarely does the word heart refer to the organ in your chest. Very interesting, okay? The word heart in the Bible often refers to what's called the seat of the will. It is that intellectual faculty that goes into decision-making. May the Lord be set apart over your heart, your mind, your heart. When I make decisions, it is the Lordship of Jesus Christ that informs what I decide to do because I am a servant of Christ. As a Christian, you don't own yourself. We call Jesus Lord. And so it is a full commitment. People don't like that commitment. It's too much. That's why Jesus says, you want to be my disciple? Count the cost. When you read the Bible, it looks like sometimes Jesus is purposely turning people away. Why? Because they were not willing to count the cost. One guy in the Bible, he says, I want to be your disciple, Jesus. I first have to bury my father. It was the role back in the day for the oldest son to participate in that. Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. You follow me now. And that was like, I wish I was like a fly on the wall, some of the reaction. Or, or one, one guy says, you know, uh, good master, good teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, you follow the commandments? He's from, from my youth. He was like a little old me, right? Went to synagogue, right? I had from my youth. And he says, great. Great. Sell all that you have. Give the money to the poor and come follow me. And the person, what does it say? The Bible says that he walked away sad because he was rich. He wasn't willing to count the cost. Being a follower of Christ might cause you to lose everything. Right? Yes. I have a good example of the opposite okay. of that. Uh, when God told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Yeah. And right as he was about to do it, um, an angel appeared and told him that he didn't have to be saved. Yeah, yeah. And there's a much deeper aspect to that story. But yeah, it's like, are you willing to give up everything for Christ? That, that's another thing with Christianity. God doesn't want half of you. He doesn't want most of you. It's an all or nothing. And people, and, and, and Jesus often said things where the Bible would say, and they walked away this morning. Jesus walked up in a synagogue once and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have eternal life. People were like, and they didn't understand what he said. Obviously there's a deeper meaning to that. But what did they do? It says that many of them left him. Because they couldn't take the teaching. And then Jesus looks to his disciples, you guys are going to leave me too? And they said, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Are you willing to emulate that attitude, knowing that eternal life can only be found in Jesus Christ, and that no matter what, you're completely and fully committed to him? 
And part of that commitment is not just with your mouth, I'm committed to him, I'm at church, but you're also living on campus, living in your personal life and in your interactions in a way that is honoring to God, reflecting the gospel, and courageously, logically, and rationally defending the faith which is once and for all delivered to the saints. Jude chapter 1, verse 3. You see, the word of God needs to be seeping through your pores because if the Bible is true, it is the source of life for you. You need to be in that word. It needs to be, the scriptures need to be the background music of your life. That when you need to speak life to someone who needs it, the scripture is hidden in your heart. And you share it. You'd be amazed. I had an atheist friend once. His name was Will. And we did child care together. You know, we watched little demon kids before they went to school. And uh, we would debate, you know, in my car while eating egg sandwiches. It was awesome, okay? And he would ask me a thousand questions and blah, 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 blah. And I remember he uh, invited me over to his house with all his atheist friends to watch this documentary, okay? He's like, ah, it's a documentary on YouTube. All right, YouTube is the place that everyone goes, you know? Christianity's wrong, how do you know? Let's go, YouTube, right? We go straight to YouTube, right? Because YouTube is the end all be all, right? And so I'm sitting in this living room with a bunch of atheists, uh, nice guys, we had a great time. And uh, I was watching this thing and I'm answering the questions, blah, 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 blah. And, and he always tried to stump me, okay? Not that I knew all the answers, but I used to ask the same questions. And so we, uh, we went back and forth, went back and forth, and eventually I stopped working at that place. And years passed, my mom was diagnosed with, uh, with cancer. Okay, and right now she's uh, undergoing uh, chemotherapy and stuff like that. Um, but I remember um, when she was first diagnosed and they had to remove the, the tumor, um, I was in the parking lot, this was probably like five years later, I was in the parking lot, and all of a sudden, as I'm getting out of my car, this guy grabbed me from behind, and I'm like, oh my goodness, and I thought it was like a doctor, he was wearing scrubs or something, I was like, oh, what's happening, we get mugged in the parking lot. I turn around and it's my friend Will. And he didn't say, hey, how are you doing? He didn't say, oh my goodness, I can't believe you're here, or why are you here, he says, dude, I just want to thank you. I'm like, for what? He's like, you know all those conversations that we had in the car? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I remember. He's like, dude, I'm a Christian now. I'm going to be a youth pastor. I, and I'm going to preach at a church in Fire Island, and I want to bring your family out because I want to share how our conversations uh, help, help me along in that journey. You don't know. You see, when you share your faith and you defend your faith, sometimes you're not going to see the results right away. But you need to look at yourself as the seed spreader and let God do the watering. Sometimes God will produce the fruit of what you've planted, and you'll never see that. But you trust that what you've spoken in defense of the faith has not been done in vain. Right? These things happen. Okay? So, defending the faith. We want to uh, vindicate the truth of the Christian perspective because we think it's true. Okay? We want to strengthen uh, believers. We want to strengthen ourselves. We want to proclaim the gospel and defend the gospel to a lost and dying world. We want to do that with gentleness and respect. And let me tell you something from personal experience. I don't know what your experience is in Christianity or how you think Christianity works and this, that, or the other thing. The defense of the Christian faith can be done. And it can be done not just okay, like, okay, I can probably, no, no, no. The evidence is so much on the, on the side of Christianity that I think that if you mastered some basic principles of rationality, understood the foundations of your faith, you can be a powerful force for the gospel if you're willing to, okay? And if you're struggling, and you're saying, well, I don't even know if this is true. I don't even know, I just happen to, I heard they were having something, I walked in this room. If that's you, I challenge you, look into Christianity beyond the hypocritical attitudes of people you might know. Hey, the church is filled with hypocrites. We can use one more, <laughs> okay? We're all broken people, all right? Don't, don't, don't allow the hypocrisy of, of, a, of a Christian prevent you from making a, a commitment to Christ, you see, that's called the logical, that, that's a logical fallacy, by the way, right? Christianity is false because people who are Christian are hypocrites. 
And the reality is that the fact that people are hypocrites have nothing to do with whether Christianity is true. <laughs> Let's follow this logical reasoning, ready? Christians are hypocrites, therefore Jesus didn't rise from the dead. That doesn't logically follow. Right? So I want you to think about that. Okay? All right. I talk a lot. All right? As my, I'm a teacher, I, I, I apologize. All right? Are there any questions about anything, literally anything, something I said, has maybe something that has nothing to do with what I said, but it's a question you heard, you have, or whatever? Okay? I don't bite hard, all right? I'm just kidding. All right? Because if you don't have questions, I could just keep going. But I have time. All right? Yes, sir. So, for one, uh, how would you like, speak to a Muslim and evangelize to a Muslim who said that Jesus Christ was just a prophet? Yeah. yeah. Like, how could you say, like, you know, he did all these miraculous things and like, have actually like, like, historical context? Yeah. Well, uh, just for context for people who don't know, in Islam, they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I don't know if you know that. They actually, Muslims believe in the second coming of Christ and everything like that. Um, but they believe that Jesus was merely a, uh, a prophet, okay? Um, again, let's ask for evidence. You see, now if you look at something like the Quran, which comes around 600 years after Christ, who, which source is in a better position to tell us something about Jesus? The Quran, which comes 600 years after Christianity. Or the New Testament, which can be dated to the first century, which is where Jesus flourished. The New Testament. That's right. And so where does the evidence lie in terms of getting the source material? If I want to know what Jesus did and what he said and what he claimed, chances are I'm going to get better information, more reliable information historically from the New Testament. The problem with the New Testament is, though, it contradicts what the Quran says about Jesus. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so we, we can, you can go that route and say, well, what does the Bible actually say about Jesus? And you have, you have Muslims who say, oh, let's use the Bible. The Bible doesn't teach that, that, that Jesus claimed to be God. Show me one place in Scripture where Jesus says, I'm God, worship me. Right? Muslim will, will say that. Okay? By the way, there, it's easy to show the divinity of Christ in Scripture, but you're going to have to know as a Christian where, where are those ideas taught. You know, do you believe Jesus is God? Where, where in the Bible? Where does it say it? Uh, okay, now, does that feel a little uncomfortable? Like, oh, man. See, so, and, and this is important because the idea that Jesus is God in flesh is an essential teaching of Christianity. If you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. You can't be a Christian and say Jesus is, is only a prophet. The deity of Christ is an essential feature of the Christian faith. You must believe that Jesus Christ is God in flesh. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.14, and the Word, who was God, Right? When Moses saw the burning bush and God spoke to Moses out of the bush and he says, if the people of Israel ask me what your name is, what should I say? Anybody know what God said, what his name was? Anybody know? Jehovah. Well, he said, what, what did he say? I am. I am. Say, I am sent you. That's the name of God. That's where we get the name Yahweh, by the way. Okay, Yahweh means I am. Okay, now interesting, Jesus says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Jesus was quoting Exodus 3.14. He's calling himself Yahweh. Unless you believe that I am Yahweh, you're going to die in your sins. Jesus claimed to be divine. Now, granted, claiming to be, to be divine doesn't prove you're divine. But it's important to know that Jesus claimed to be divine. And when you're witnessing to a Muslim, that throws a monkey wrench into their whole system because you can't have a Jesus claiming to be divine and also believe that the Quran teaches that he's not God. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So understanding what the Bible says about him, that it's an early, more reliable source, right? and answering their objections to the corruption of the Bible. See, they'll grant, maybe the Bible does teach, but it's been corrupted. See, so it's been twisted to, to make it say that. Yeah? And then you just say, well, evidence. Give me the evidence for that. Where is the corruption? Okay? You need to know a little bit of facts about how the Bible is developed. That's going to require a little depth. But as Christians, we should, that's something that's worthy of study. Heck, some of your Bible studies in church, if you have church has small groups, so why not take the time to study how the Bible is developed? That might be helpful when you're witnessing to Muslims. 
right? Very, very important. Interesting. Islam is a very, is a very interesting religion because um, the uh, Muslim religion teaches that God had revealed himself to the people of Israel and that Jesus was the true Messiah. And if you want to know if the, if the Quran is true, look at what God has already revealed. And what is that? Well, it's the New Testament. And the problem is, Muhammad never read, read the New Testament. <laughs> see? So when you say, check the New Testament, and see, I'm saying something that we could all agree. And you read the New Testament, it's like, actually, no, it doesn't, it doesn't agree. But then what does the Muslim say? Oh, it was corrupted. So wait a second, let me get this straight. Allah commands us in the Quran to check the earlier sources to see that what you're saying is true. Okay? But the earlier sources contradict what you say. And then you say it's corrupted. So, according to the Quran, I can't even do what Allah wants me to do. Because the sources that would tell me that I should agree are corrupted. So, I have, I, there's no way to obey that command, you see. But you need to know the reliability of the Bible, and you need to know the issues with the Quran, and, and uh, things that involve those details. Again, it takes study. But this is the life of the Christian, isn't it, right? It's developing the life of the mind. Talking to people. Being okay with saying, I don't know. You know, I, I, I come off as someone who knows a lot of, like, answers, study this, but when people ask me questions that I don't know, you know what I do? I just go, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know everything, right? And you know what? That's, that's a noble thing to do. How stupid is it when you stick your foot in your mouth and you try to give an answer so that you appear smart, right? No. We are after truth. If I don't know something, I want to be honest and tell you, you know what? I don't know. That's a great question. I'm going to look into it. Let, let's meet up again and talk. And now you've just expanded the relationship where now you have an open door to continue that discussion. Okay, does that make a little sense? Yeah. Okay. Any other questions? Yeah. Like when you were initially diving into your faith, like when you said you, um, after that theology class, what were some literature that you dove into, like right away? Yeah. Um, well, websites first is what you come to, right? Like I don't like, you know what? I'm going to go to the library and look for a scholarly journal. Like that's not the first thing you go for. And the reality is, you guys are students. You guys are busy. You guys are doing papers and stuff. So things that are like quick resources are helpful. So I, I ran into some websites, checked the sources. I thought about it a little bit. Um, I listened to a lot of debates. I'm not a big reader. I like to read and I like to study and stuff. But I learn through conflict. Like if I want to see if what I believe is true, I argue with people and see how it looks in discussion. And I've been amazed when I take a Christian concept and apply it to like an atheist or something. And I've been so amazed at the, at the outcome that it's like, wow, like, the Christian faith has some really powerful weapons in its favor, okay? But the details. Um, a really good website to check out is CARM, C-A-R-M.org. You want to write that down on your phone. CARM. And the reason why is because it is for people like uh, you guys. It's like, I'm busy. I can't read an entire book. So CARM stands for Christian Apologetics Research Ministry. And you literally go on the website, you type in your question on the side, and an article will pop up. You read the article in three to five minutes. You, know, you take a little note, you get a little notebook, you think about it, you reflect upon it, you read some of the scriptures, that your, Bible, your questions related to the Bible, and little by little, you're going to start knowing some answers to questions you used to have. You know what's going to happen? You're going to be chilling out with people, you're going to have a cup of coffee, someone's going to ask a question, and you'll be like, oh, you know what, huh, I have something to say about that. You will be amazed. Once you learn about your faith, you're going to be like, uh-huh, I spoke at, a, at an event. And it was right when they discovered what's called the Higgs boson. It's called the God particle. And it's, a, uh, it's, it's one of the fundamental uh, uh, things in physics where it explains how uh, objects in the universe get their mass. It's called the God Particle. And I remember the night before, I just happened to read this article. Oh, the God Particle. Uh, cool, interesting, you know, interesting. And during the Q&A, guess what was the first question? Oh, what do you think about the God Particle? I was like, oh, oh, I have much to say about the God Particle. Why? Because the habit of my life is to always 
be looking into things, studying things, right? You don't have to be a scholar, but use your time wisely. You're gonna just hang out and watch a show, or maybe you can take 10 or 15 minutes, go on a website and read an article and learn something, you know? Maybe you get a special marble notebook where you just have all your questions and you're like, you know what? Before this week is over, I wanna get, try to get that answer. And you talk to people. By the way, I have a card, it has my number. You can literally call my cell phone. I don't care what I'm doing. If I pick up, I'll be like, hey, I'm that dude that was sitting in the middle row and like, I have a question. That's what I do. So you can use me as a resource too, okay? All right, and I'll hand those out uh, towards the end. But uh, Karm is great. Um, I have a podcast. I don't know if you do podcasts. I'm a big podcast guy. Um, it's called Revealed Apologetics on iTunes. You can download it. It's free. Okay, I'm not charge nothing. It's free. Right? I know college people. You guys are broke, busted, and disgusted. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're like, oh my gosh, this hat's not even mine. Like it's like you're wearing other people's. I know how this goes. Okay, so reveals apologetics. Uh, you know, and I feel like a commercial. Push the subscribe button. You know? um, if you email me at revealedapologetics at gmail.com, I'll give you the cards. You can literally ask any question you want, and I will make a podcast episode covering your question. Because I I know how it feels to have questions. You know, like one, one person was like, oh my goodness, you know, uh, my, my son is an atheist. Like, how, how would I respond to that? You know, that's a great article topic. How might you respond to a kid who's studying something in college and seems to be uh, reading certain books and now has arguments against the faith that they were raised in? How would you respond to that? Oh my goodness, I have a friend who's a homosexual. How do I address that as a Christian? Oh, that's a hot button topic. These are issues. Christians should not be afraid of addressing those topics, by the way. Okay? The Bible's very clear on things. But remember, disagreement doesn't equal hate. By the way, they disagree with you. Does that mean they hate you? The argument goes both ways. Right? I love you. And because I, because I love you, I disagree with you, and I'm willing to have a conversation. Right? So we don't back off from controversial topics because the Bible has much to say. And while the Bible doesn't always explicitly address every topic, implicitly there are principles in Scripture that can be applied to other areas. You know, I always use the example because I'm kind of that edgy teacher at school. I'm teaching like, you know, talking like, 11, 12 graders, there's no command in the Bible that says thou shalt not sniff it, the cocaine. There's no, there's no, there's, there's no verse in the Bible. So is it a sin to sniff cocaine, right? Well, there are biblical principles. That's right. The Bible doesn't mention cocaine, right? Okay. But there are biblical principles we can apply to whether we should do something like that, isn't there? You see? So once you become familiar with the scriptures as part of your life, you're going to begin to see different ways that you could apply it to questions that maybe you've never thought of before. And that's just, the, that's just the beauty of the Christian faith. It is, it's not just a book with stories. It is actually an entire system of thought that is connected and intermingled. And when you get a grasp as to how it all fits together, you are able then to apply it to all areas of life. And that's, that's amazing. It, it really is. Okay? Any other questions? Good. Yeah? Uh, so if we're children of God, my question is, like, a lot of the oldest, like, people we know, like Romans, Greeks, Scandinavians, a lot of them weren't God-based, like, uh, God-based, yeah, multiple Yeah, they're based, yeah. a lot of were polytheistic, like, where was God, essentially, then, from Adam and Eve to more towards zero? Yeah. He was on vacation. <laughs> he was at a spot, he's like, oh, snap, we got to get to the Romans, right? Um, that's a great question. Where, where is God in these other nations, like the pagan nations, where they worship, like, Zeus and, like, you know, the Roman pantheon and stuff like that? Reality is that God is, is the same place he always was. The heavens reveal the glory of God. The Bible actually says in Romans chapter 1 that in a very profound sense, all men know God. All false religion from a biblical perspective are distortions that have a grounding in a common notion of deity. Okay? Um, Romans chapter 1 says, for the, uh, for the wrath of God has been revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth 
about God in their unrighteousness. For what can be known about God is made known to them because God has shown it to them through what has been made. Okay? And so there is what in theology we call general revelation. There is a general revelation of God in which all people have. Okay? And in that sense, the Bible also says that revelation is so clear that all men are without excuse. And he's actually speaking about the, the pagans that never actually uh, had the gospel preached to them. He says that there is, there is evidence and a revelation of God that's given to everybody that they're without excuse. Now, of course, the Jews had special revelation. It was more specific. You know, it's God sent prophets and stuff. But the revelation of God is so clear around uh, in, in the heavens declare the glory of God that no one is, is without excuse. So everyone had a, um, a revelation of God. It's really an issue of how did people respond to, that, to the revelation they did have? How did people respond to that? Some people responded by creating religion, worshiping animals, worshiping created things as opposed to the creator. Other people said, oh, I don't know what's out there. There's this deity, and if this deity, I, I know that I violated some law, I throw myself at the mercy of this deity. Who knows? God maybe had, re had revealed himself to those people. Okay? For example, the gospel wasn't around uh, as like Jesus Christ and all that kind of stuff during the times of Noah. And when God was going to flood the world. Remember that story? And Noah builds an ark, and then the flood comes. And then, But what was Noah doing while he was building the ark? It's interesting. In the, in the New Testament, Noah is described as a preacher of righteousness, yet he's not called that in the book of Genesis. What that means is, what's implied there was that while Noah was building the ark, he was also calling people to repentance. That was God reaching out to those pagans who didn't know that they, they went far off. Right? But of course, they didn't respond and so God judged the world. Right? Okay? So, um, in a very profound sense, and I hope that this would be uh, something worthy of a study in and of itself, in a very profound sense, all men know God. Not every de the details, but everyone has what, what John Calvin, a Protestant reformer, he called the sensus divinitatis, a kind of sense of divinity, that people kind of have this uh, intuitive um, inkling that, that they are not of themselves, right? That there's something greater out there. And that's part of God's revelation that everyone has. Everybody has that, okay? It's very interesting. Uh, someone like Richard Dawkins, world-famous atheist. Um, I think that uh, if I were to take your phone, I apologize. I'm not going to yeah. you, you can close that. I don't want to look at your... He's ordering a pizza. What's up with that, bro? You're walking on a beach, right? And I see a phone here, and I see a rock here, okay? You walk up, and you look at two objects. And you're like, ooh, look, this is a fancy rock. Cheryl, take a look at this. If you were the person standing on the beach, this person's an idiot. Clearly, that's not a rock. Clearly, that's a phone. Well, how do you know? How do you? It, because it has a screen. It looks like it has purpose. It looks like it has design. It looks like it has complexity. Why is it so obvious that we can understand creator, rock, random, it doesn't really have intention, yet when we look in the mirror, we're more complex than this thing. Yeah, we're here on accident. <laughs> you see, the Bible says that the evidence of God is all around. It is as clear as the nose on your face. It's because of various philosophies, the culture that we live in, the various philosophies that we adopt, that we blind ourselves to what is supposed to be obvious. That's why the Bible says, I'm not trying to name call, it literally says, it's the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. You look outside, really, really? We're here on accident, okay? By the way, Richard Dawkins said this, okay? World famous atheist, he says, uh, I don't remember what book it was in, so I do apologize, I don't have the source, but um, if you want it, I really can get it. He says, um, when we look around us, although the world looks designed, we must continually remind ourselves that it's not. <laughs> is that an objective scientific outlook on the world, or is there clearly a ulterior motive in that kind of state. Why do we have to assume that what looks designed isn't designed? Are we trying to avoid some conclusion? Right? Why don't we conclude that things that look designed are designed? Is that, wouldn't that be a rational thing to, to, to affirm? 
The, the issue is, we, I, we could identify what looks designed. And when you look in a nice little microscope in all your wonderful cells, guess what? You look designed. There's a lot of purpose in your cells, in your DNA, information, all that kind of stuff. There is a clear indicator that there is an intelligence behind the wonderful people that you are. You know, unfortunately, you can't see your cells when you look in the mirror. And when I look in the mirror, I just see a lot of ugly do like, dang, bro. God has blessed me not with my face, you know, like that. Um, but if you really were to take it seriously and look at the complexity of, of human DNA and information theory and stuff like that, you're, you are truly, in a very primitive way, the Bible says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. It's amazing. Yet we blind ourselves to what's obvious. So I don't buy the thing where what these people who just didn't know God exists. The Bible says all men have enough knowledge that they're without excuse. So I, I hope that answers it. Now, there are other questions that can spring forth from that, but uh, I hope that just in a surface level addresses what you were asking. Okay. Any other questions? Yes. Um, so in the book of Genesis, it states that God, uh, yeah, God mm -hmm. created the world in six days. Mm -hmm. Rested on the seventh day. Yeah. Um, and my brother knows a lot about this stuff, so I've had many discussions with him. Mm -hmm. And he said <clears throat> sometimes in the Bible, uh, this like that one might be a metaphor, so it might not have taken six days. That could be like a day could represent a hundred thousand years. Do you have any information on that? Yeah, that uh, the book of Genesis, the the opening chapters where it talks about creation. This is a kind of a in-house discussion, and it really is an issue. Ooh, it's really an issue of, of what we call hermeneutics, the science of interpretation. You have the creation account, which is God creates things in six days, and people ask the question: Are these like six like literal days? And if they are six literal days and Adam was created on the sixth, the Bible actually has a family lineage. You could actually date when Adam was, uh, you know, was created. And many, there are many Christians who believe that you know, that whole creation point happened six to 10,000 years ago. And people say, well, that seems to conflict with, with a lot of the science that we have today because commonly in science, the universe has been calculated to be 13.7 billion years and the Earth somewhere around 6.4 billion. So what do we do with what seems to be conflicting data here? You have the scientific consensus that the universe is billions of years old, and you have a particular way of interpreting Genesis, which would lead someone to believe that the universe is six to 10,000 years old. Now, the issue is very interesting. Um, you have this issue of uh, um, literary genre. What genre is, is the book of Genesis? You have, for example, um, uh, there's morning and evening, day one, morning and evening, day two, right? Morning and evening, day three, four, five, six, and then in day seven, it doesn't say morning and evening. As a matter of fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says the seventh day is still going on. God is Enter into God's rest. Well, wait a minute. Are these literal days, or is there something going on here? I think that people who interpret it literally as 24-hour days, that's one way you can look at it. And I think there are other reasons that you could have that there. Thank you very much for listening to the Revealed Apologetics podcast. Uh, if you have any questions um, that you would like me to cover in a podcast episode, uh, please email them to me to revealedapologetics at gmail.com. Also, we very much um, appreciate your prayers, and if you wish to support Revealed Apologetics financially, uh, you can by doing so. Um, we have a, a PayPal account set up. Uh, you can um, uh, help us out financially um, at paypal.me slash revealedapologetics, paypal.me slash revealed apologetics and that would be uh, greatly appreciated if, if you were able to help out financially if not um, we we definitely would appreciate uh, prayer 
Um, and um, once again, if, if you have any questions uh, that you'd like me to cover, revealed apologetics at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and God bless.